Don't laugh at my dance moves. <laughs> wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle with it. Yeah. Doing the worm. But, <laughs> but right here while sitting on camera talking to me with your voice only being recorded. I so, have tried sorry. to do the worm Don't. recently after a few drinks and I truly flopped. Like just hey, once upon a time, I thought you could, couldn't you? No, I thought in my mind, maybe when I was like 12. I think this I'm confusing. Yeah, the splits are your party. Yeah, trick. that's my party trick. And I learned my lesson not to try the worm ever again. No, keep doing it. You'll <laughs> you'll get there. I believe in you. Thank you. Worm our way through this year. 2022. This is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. Hello. And I am Sabrina. And 2022 has been an interesting year. I think I've spent more of the year sick than healthy. Oh, I know. I don't understand why. I know. And it's not COVID, and that's the craziest thing. But so thing. far, you've you've escaped Rona. She hasn't gotten yeah. you yet, so we don't know what's been getting you. I've just gotten got by the world, I think. Yeah. Everything else is catching up after two years indoors. I need to go All to the, the doctors. All the germs are like, hello. Help me. Help me. I was like, this is going to be a year of like health. I'm going to start every morning with a warm cup of water and lemon. And I'm going to eat really healthy. I'm going to stop eating dairy officially and like really cut it out of my life. (laughs) And I was doing so well. I was like, look at me go. And I was just taken out. And then I was felt better. And then I was taken out again. So taken out back in taken out. Yeah. You've got like a few days of this window where you haven't been sick. Yeah. I laughed really hard at your dairy comment, though, because (laughs) I was thinking. What? This morning, I don't know why it came to mind, but I was thinking about the time where you weren't supposed to be having any dairy Mm. and you left the party that we were at. You came in with your bike and you're like, bye, guys, I got to go. And we're like, "Okay, that's odd that she's leaving in the middle of the party. And we're like, wait a second, where's the tub of potato salad? Where'd that go from the counter? And we all look out the window and you've got the potato salad in your bike basket and you're speeding home. <laughs> oh my God. I will never not enjoy remembering uh, that moment. It's not my proudest moment. I mean, this is the problem. Like I was vegan for that period of time because I had high cholesterol yeah. and it was less because I wasn't supposed to eating dairy. It was, I mean, dairy gives you high cholesterol or like it does for me. So I was cutting dairy out for that reason. But then, but this is the problem is that if I cut something, because I love cheese, like I grew up, mm. my family grew up with a dairy, like a cheese drawer instead of a meat drawer because we're vegetarians. So like, I just love it. It reminds me yeah. of home and it tastes so good, even though it hurts so bad. But so the thing <laughs> is that when I restrict myself and I don't eat it, then like I drink and yeah. my mind is like the only thing it thinks of is cheese. And if cheese <laughs> is put near me when I'm drinking – I will devour it. I mean, it makes sense. It's it, because when people drink, like that's when your inhibitions are, are a little loose. Things start happening. Yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe that means I have to cut out dairy and drinking altogether. Yeah. Or I need to learn self-control. <laughs> that's that's the thing. That's Help. what I was just about to say. It's <laughs> the self-control thing. Because I don't think the drink – like nowadays, I don't drink anywhere near enough for – for me to to really lean on alcohol as an excuse mm-hmm. for any of my behavior. It's just what already lives in sober me, which is the lack of self-control. Yeah. That's just amplified. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Also our tolerances in college were so much higher. I Corinne, we used to drink together and Corinne, like you know, there was that thing where this is not something we're proud of. It, we 
I think we reflect back on this and it's like, wow, we I can't believe we, we survived. We smile as we talk, but we're horrified on the yes. inside. So remember like you used to like mark the amount of drinks on your wrist? Corinne, like, yes. You used to like drink an entire water bottle of rum. It was, I don't understand how I didn't die, quite honestly. There was something hardcore going on in my body. I think, I think my body like very much adapted really quickly and well to alcohol. Which, <laughs> Which is, is not so a good scary. Sign. Yeah. It's really scary. It was like, oh, okay, this is a part of our yeah. routine. And it I would I would drink like a, enough to put a like a, a footballer in the hospital. Yeah. It was simultaneously scary but impressive. Well, that is not the case, I'll tell you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't drink much at all. So I think that's a combination um, of one growing old and two growing more mature and understanding that you don't need to do that anymore. Right. And this, yeah, we're we're many, many, many years out of college now. So yeah, the settings that we're in and that we put ourselves in are less encouraging of that type of behavior. I am really enjoying this trip down memory lane, though. It like really, I mean, I just had I have a smile on my face because I'm thinking of all the ridiculous adventures we went on in college. Oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. I was watching an episode of Modern Family the other uh-huh. day and they they filmed. So when Luke and Manny, the two boys go on a college tour together the tour is LMU where we went. Yeah. It's it's on the LMU campus. And I was getting so excited. And I was like pausing the show and telling Brian like, <laughs> oh, that's where I lived. Oh, that's where this happened. And there was one part where I paused and I was like, that's where Sabrina and I street. <laughs> it, it was all these like fun memories. And I was like, that's the theater where Sabrina and I met. It was really all you, Sabrina. I was like, that's where Sabrina and I went to do this. And then we did that and we did this and blah, blah, blah. It was fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's we had some good times, and we continue to. We continue to. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad I, glad I know you. I'm glad I was there for potato salad, and, <laughs> and that's really just what I wanted to say. That makes my year oh. every year. Every year is a good year because I have that memory. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I don't have anything to say. I'm embarrassed by it. No, you don't need to be. It is one of those things where like. I think I'm a boring person and I'm like, oh, I don't really have any stories to tell. But then it's like all the stories that like are funny that I have something to do with like are also really embarrassing. And I just have to like <laughs> – I just have to own up to it but or like embrace it, you know? No, I think it's a great time. You're going to make a great personality on television one day. <laughs> I know you don't want to, but I'm convinced you're going to be. Well, you're going to rule the travel channel or something as a ghost, because that's the only way I could be on screen. I will literally <laughs> die behind camera and or in front of camera. And then, I mean, I'm already inv- invisible. So, like, we'll make the whole storyline that I'm invisible and I'm never actually on screen. How about that? OK, that's fine. Who do, who would you want to play you on television? Um, Nick. Nick can play me. <laughs> Nick in a wig. <laughs> that is Nick's dream job. I know. He wants literally- to be on TV so bad. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. I did not see that. See, Sabrina, you're so funny. <laughs> your suggestions. <laughs> anyway, we're tired. It's the new year. I feel like we're going to still be saying, like, so it's the new year, like, four months in. Yeah, when does this does this come out in January? Oh, it's, like, the end of January. So, yeah, you know. We're here. We're chilling. Until it's I'm fine. healthy, it's still not the new year. Right. There's not, there's no. not like, a ton to do. Except for think about TikToks. And if people still haven't followed us on TikTok, we're like yeah. serious now. Before we talked a lot about it, like, oh, we're going to get better. We are posting. Oh, it's a thing. Not only are we posting, Corinne, 
I find myself sending you more TikToks than you send to me now. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. I'm a changed woman. <laughs> you are. I'm not healthy, but I'm really into TikTok. And this isn't going to make you more healthy. No. Let me tell you that. Oh my gosh, I got an alert from my phone and it was like, your like time spent on your phone is up 6% from last week. And it was just because of TikTok. Because you just lay there watching TikToks. Well, yep. Follow us there. Follow us. Make Join us, us famous. Join us on <laughs> Make Us Famous. Here's the thing. We're transparent over here. At Too Real. You never have to question what our motives are. We want to be TikTok famous. <laughs> okay. Actually, a coworker um, or a friend, L'Oreal, she sent me our own TikTok and was like, oh, hey. <laughs> it, did it come up on her? F- yeah. I think it came up on her For You page. That's so funny. Yeah. That's amazing. I was – yeah. At first, I was thinking, oh, maybe from – the contact list because when you put in your phone number, it will it will like push other people's videos towards you if you have their number. Is my phone number on our with, account though? But it's it's mine. Yeah. So yeah, it just truly came up on hers. Wow. If anyone has joined us in the past few weeks on Green Room, which is an app, a Spotify app, we go live on Campfire Stories. It's every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. But recently I had told a story about how my mom donated my Raggedy Ann doll, but then had to go back and rescue her <laughs> because mm-hmm. I cried. <laughs> but she made a TikTok appearance. I just posted Miss Miss Raggedy Ann. Oh, you just posted it? Yeah. I have to go watch that TikTok. I'm excited. Everyone head on over there. Watch your TikToks. Laugh. Cry. Okay. we. I'm really excited about this topic and i know you are as well corinne because you have i know you and you've gone on a deep dive with yours literally literally and figuratively a deep dive because our topic we said oceans what lurks in water Mm -hmm. i think the sea is one of the scariest places in the world yes i'm terrified of dark water i don't even like to go in past my knees if it's the ocean the lake i'm fine with because i grew up on on lakes and there are a few recurrents, but the the ocean specifically, well, and just lakes too, everything, yeah. all water. I just feel like this complete lack of control. Like it's it's a great example of how Mother Nature, like Earth, is just so much stronger oh, than you, and how little we actually know about it. I mean, the oceans are so deep, and there are creatures that exist that we don't even know about. I. Right. And you're just floating along and you have no idea what's three feet underneath you. I know. I mean, I think, okay, I think lakes are scarier to me than oceans because I'm very rarely in the middle of an ocean, whereas like a lake, for some reason, like they just like randomly drop off. You can never really see the bottom of them. True. You don't know. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I don't know. I don't know. And also how many bodies are in the body of waters? I don't know. It scares me. We're swimming in dead cells between animals and humans. It's just all around creepy without even talking about all the creatures and spirits and anything that could be within these waters. Just like regular old sea creature life is terrifying enough. Yes. Terrifying. Okay. But we're here to to push the envelope. Yeah. To make everyone a little more scared. Of course. Because that's what we do. And I'm going to tell you something that kind of just blows my mind. And I am so – it is a like just anomaly in the world. And I was researching Mm -hmm. it and I literally went to Nick and I was like, oh my gosh, my mind is blown. I don't even know how to conceptualize this and compute it because it's so mystifying. So I put a little spin on this topic. Because I know there are plenty of things that haunt the ocean, like cryptids, creatures, sirens, monsters. But 
There are also some strange things that are in the middle of the ocean, like ancient civilizations that disappeared off the face <gasps> of the map, and all that's left behind are structures that boggle the mind and the ghosts of those who once walked the land. Oh, I'm so into this. I'm so glad you did this. <laughs> because I, in my mind, I was like, there's nothing creepier than like a haunted island in the middle of the freaking ocean. Yes. Because it's like, okay, I also just read this book called The Reckless Girls. And it's kind of all about this, which I loved. It was a, It's about a like, group of people who go to this island called Moreau Island off of Hawaii. And the legend says like a ship sunk there in or World War II or crashed there. And then people like resorted to cannibalism to survive and all this stuff. And there's a curse on the island that you go crazy once you're there. So I was like already in that mindset. And so I found this island that I had never heard of. It is truly in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's like the real life Atlantis. And it's somewhere between Hawaii, Australia, and the Philippines. There's this tiny island country called the Federated States of Micronesia. It's truly a speck in the middle of what is the largest body of water in the world. It's the Pacific Ocean. It's about 2,485 miles or 4,000 kilometers southwest of the main island of Hawaii or 1,802 miles, 2,900 kilometers north of eastern Australia. Off the eastern shore of Pompeii, one of the four states of Micronesia, sits an abandoned island named Non Madal. So it's an island off of an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Like truly, when you look at the map, it's, you don't even see it. It's a speck in the massive ocean. That's scary, too, because with all the weather that exactly. happens, I would be terrified to be to ever be exactly. there. And non Madal has bewildered the world. It is a man-made, basically, island it, of massive what? stone structures and supposed human-made structures that stand upon a coral reef. Not only is it an archaeological mystery, but its existence and believed history just terrifies the locals. To them, non Madal is the island of ghosts. It is haunted and beholds a terrible curse that has taken many lives. But before I get to the curse, I want to paint a picture of Nanbadal because it is such an enigma. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, get, I get kind of spooked just talking about it because it just doesn't make sense. So the ancient megalithic city was built on an island of coral reef. It was constructed in a lagoon that consists of over... A hundred small man-made islands linked by a network of canals. So to give you a visual reference, think of Venice, Italy. And it's actually, Nomadal has been nicknamed the Venice of the Pacific. So the way that it's built, it's built upon a coral reef. And it appears to be floating on the ocean. The structures were built like log cabins. But instead of logs, they used giant basalt stone, like heavy, heavy, heavy stone in the middle of the ocean. The average weight of the stones used is five tons, which is 10,000 pounds. The heaviest stone on the island, and this is one stone, is over 50 tons. 50, which is over 100,000 pounds. One stone is over 100,000 pounds. That's like five of the heaviest elephants in the world. This just makes me believe that there once, probably many times throughout history, were groups of very advanced individuals and something happened oh. to like wipe out all knowledge and history of those people. And so we can't fathom how it happened because we're just assuming this linear progression yeah. in terms of human development and discovery. And it's just likely not oh, true. I, I couldn't agree more. Or or it just like proves there really is like some magical alien species that has been here before because keep in mind i'm looking at pictures of it right now and it's 
the way that it's laid out reminds me so much of, you know, that little game that's like you hold it in one hand and there's a plastic covering and little tiny, it's it's a maze and there's a tiny little metal ball and oh, you just like yeah. move this mm-hmm. whole game around to try to get ball the, to the middle or to the end. Through yeah. the maze. Yeah. And it, it looks like that from yes. the aerial view. Yeah. And it's also interesting. I, I did a lot of like Google satellite imaging and stuff. There are only like two spots that have been like mapped out where you can like put the man down on the ground. There are only two spots on Namadal that people have actually like accessed. Wow. I mean, maybe that's just what was sent to Google image or Google Maps, but because yeah. people have been there, but like it is pretty much uncharted territory. Also, so this is all man made. So not only are these stones like massive and heavy, the tallest structures are also 50 feet high and 17 feet thick. So this is just like what? Massive and tall. And I'll get to in a little bit, I'll talk about studies that have been done about how this possibly could have been made by humans. But it has been determined that the architecture was a larger undertaking than the Egyptian pyramids. And we were able to figure out how the Egyptian pyramids were made. But no one has been able to figure out how in the hell Nanmadal was constructed. So not only is it a mystery of how it was built, but the island itself is practically uninhabitable. There is no fresh drinking water. There's no food source, no soil for agriculture. And like you said, the elements are extreme. Like they're not protected by anything. They're just in the middle of an ocean. And somehow some society survived on Namadal for like 500 to 600 years. Although everything says it would be impossible to survive on that land. So why the hell was it built? When was it built? And by who? And also how? Those are like the biggest questions that had I had in my mind when I was reading about this. So literally every... It's every, every single, single question. question. Every single question. Like, <laughs> what is happening? And yeah, how, what? It's like a start from yeah. the beginning because I understand. And that as a disclaimer, I don't think uh, there's no satisfying end to this because I still, there still are no answers. Like, it just completely befuddles the human mind and no one knows the truth of this. And to add to that, the history, traditions, and secrets of non Madal were all passed down through an oral history. There was no written languages when this Mm. civilization existed. So everything was told through oral history. And on top of that, the society had superstitious beliefs and those who carry the knowledge of the history only carry small portions. So there was like this weird superstitious belief, and I think it passed on to the Pompeians who live there now, that like if you know the entirety of Nam, that that basically was like no one can know the entirety of Nam Madal's history. Because it was believed that knowing and telling it in its entirety meant you no longer had purpose to live. So basically, the story had to be incomplete in order for people to have purpose to live because then it meant there was more for you to learn and to discover in life. So if you knew the story and told the story from beginning to end, you would die, is what they believed. So meaning – That's a lot of pressure. Meaning that like you could only tell a certain amount of the story to your ancestors or like your children and relatives and pass it down that way. But no one's been able to know all of it. So that makes it really difficult to know what the heck happened and why this place was built because no one actually knows the complete story. There's no written record. And the natives of Pompeii have been reluctant to tell the story or history of Nanmadal based on these superstitions around it. So centuries have gone by and no one's ever talked about it. And it wasn't until recently that the people of Pompeii and around that area were willing to tell what they knew. And it's been passed only through oral. So it's just like so many things have gotten lost to history. So keep that in mind as I go on and tell you everything that has been said. 
And many of the stories about Nambadal's creation are actually mythical in lore. And those that seem more rational have actually, most of them have been proven wrong. So there is one version of the story that the locals of Pompeii have told that migrators from a nearby megalithic city called Lalo wanted to build a more impressive city on the land of Nambadal. But then they did radiocarbon dating that actually proved that Nambadal predates Lalo by over 100 years. So Nambadal existed first. The city is believed to have been built between 900 AD and 1650 AD and served as a ceremonial and political seat of the Saudelier dynasty. So it was an island for the royals and like the political figures in that dynasty. But then the Saudelier dynasty is also kind of a mythical dynasty. Like there's no real, no one really knows anything about them. Again, it's just like all mythical and it is all based on like these twin sorcerers who came to the land. Huh. But it was it's believed that the Sadalir dynasty was the very first organized government of Pompeii Island and it ruled until around 1628. It is said that the Sadalir dynasty and the construction of Nambadal began with the arrival as I said of two brothers. They were twin sorcerers, Elsipa and Olosipa. And they were the brothers. They were sorcerers. And they were said to have arrived in a large canoe seeking a place to build an altar so they could worship the god of agriculture. It is said that they came from a mythical land. And when they stepped foot on Pompeii, they were very different from the natives who were there at the time. And these brothers were giant and very tall and large people. And the natives were in awe of them because to them they were like godlike and massive Mm. and the natives gave the brothers approval to build their altar. So apparently, after the approval, the natives would wake up in the middle of the night to strange sounds emanating across the land. And there were, like, banging and, like, shuffling and just strange sounds happening, and they were shocked to see that Elsipa and Olosipa were using magical, dark magic sorcery to build Nambadal. Like, they were levitating these massive 50-ton stones into place. And it was said that they had a glowing flying dragon who assisted their efforts. (gasps) That's so cool! (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the belief is that these twin brothers magically constructed Nambadal by themselves with their dragon. Together, they constructed the nearly 100 small islands that are connected by canals. They built an elite center where the nobles and priests resided. It served as a place for Sadalir chiefs to organize and control potential rivals by making them live in Nanmadal so they can control and monitor their activities. And it was believed to be the home of more than a thousand people. The islands had dwellings, food halls, canoe construction sites, coconut oil preparation spaces, like spas and baths, places to pray, tombs and royal mortuaries. And those I are only like there now. <laughs> no, you don't, because <laughs> it's not habitable at all. But so those are the only places that like we've been able to explore. And it's kind of been proven that people lived there based on, you know, artifacts that have been found. But so much of this island and these dwellings remain unknown. And the locals are very reticent to people going to explore it. And they will warn anyone and say, do not visit, which I will get to in a bit. Okay. But – the Sadalir dynasty ruled from Nanmadal, and they had established a system of bringing in fresh food and water by boat. But think about it. They had to bring in enough food and water for over a thousand people to survive. And they also are exposed to the elements on, and it's built on top of a coral reef in the middle of the ocean, which 
everything is saying survival should not have been possible. And yet the twin brothers built their dynasty here. Elisipa died of old age and his body is said to have been buried somewhere on Namadal. And then the Elosipa married a local woman of Pompeii and gave birth to many children, eventually producing 16 future rulers of the Sotolir dynasty. So they thrived on Namadal until they were invaded by Isokelkel, a mythical war hero. Again, like, it's all mythical related. And this is like right. the 1600s and just no one knows, or I mean, 1600 AD, but like no one knows. No one knows for sure. And it's all like mythical. And 1600 is just like, it, it doesn't feel like that long ago. No, you would think there's something written, but there's nothing. And Isokelkel, who's this mythical war hero, he it was believed to be a demigod, took his people to Namadal. But after like a week of living there, they were like, oh, we're all dying. We can't survive here. And so they moved back to the mainland and left Namadal abandoned. But they were they even they were befuddled. Like, how the heck did the Sotolier dynasty thrive and survive upon Namadal for nearly 600 years? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... <sighs> right? It just, it just I, blows the mind. Like, it's like water. Water and shelter. Like, they didn't... It, it's one thing if you just eat fish all day, every day, and, like, coconuts. But I, I don't know. It just... Yeah. It doesn't... But even that, I'm pretty sure, like, they've done studies, like, the fish in that area, like, because of the way it's built, like, they don't really... Like, it, it's... They aren't eating. They don't There's come into no the, source. Yeah. That's so weird. Because you would think that... Well, I guess, too... I'm all over the place. My thought, my train of thought where I was going was, well, they are on a coral reef and that has a lot of life. But if they're building on top of the coral reef, they're effectively destroying it and killing it. Yeah. And all of the wildlife goes somewhere else. Yeah. This yeah. is one of those times where I just wish we had a time machine <laughs> to go and back. we could go back just for two days. Like just, I know. Just two days of hanging out and just seeing what's going on here. What, is like, it actually how it, people yeah. say it was? I would love to. Let's let's figure that out. Okay. Okay. So not only is Namadal an architectural anomaly, but it was also proven uninhabitable and people, aka me and the Pompeii natives, are fully on board with this magical theory because there's just no other way it can exist. And like I said, I was going to come back to what people have done to try to figure it out. So archaeologists and researchers have spent decades, ever since Namadal was discovered, trying to recreate the process of its construction and have utterly failed. They've attempted to transport similar-sized logs across the waters using boats that civilizations at that time would have had access to. And every stone that was over one ton sank the boats. And remember, the heaviest single stone at Namadal is 50 tons, 100,000 pounds. What the hell? And one one ton stone sunk the boats. So then people have theorized that maybe Namadal was built in the days of Pangea when all land was one, so perhaps the builders didn't have to use boats. So with that theory in mind, researchers tried to focus on how the civilization was able to move and then layer the stones. And they tried using the wooden log rolling system, similar to that which was used to build the Egyptian pyramids. And the stones crushed the logs, like instantly, splitting them in half, just like tearing them up. It was just impossible. They tore through rafts. They tore through ropes. Like every known method to mankind was proven impossible given the stone's weight and the the height of the structures that stand on Namadal. Well, yeah. I mean, the fact that they can't even get one into place ground level, how the hell are they supposed to stack them and not only stack them, but like move them into place so that they're flush with one another? Yes. Well, and that's like, uh, that's another big thing is like, They didn't have access to, you know, things like cement or anything that kind of like sets it together. 
And the structures, so many of them are still standing and are very, very stable to this day. So it was built like really well. And even if it was built during Pangaea, which I highly doubt it was, these stones were carbon dated and indicated that it they belonged to a volcanic plug on the opposite side of Pompeii. So they would have had to travel all the way across the island of Pompeii to get to the island of Nambadal anyway. What? My, so my, like, I don't understand. Sabrina, you're blowing my mind with this. I know. It's like I was shocked. I have never heard of this. I can't believe it exists. Like it almost feels so fake because everything around it is like mystery and mythology and just this like does. this feels like a hoax like we're getting i know we're getting pranked but we're not with this whole entire island i mean maybe we are by the the history and sorcery that exists on this i mean maybe aliens have made us like not <laughs> erased our memory of how it happened but anyway it is just so uh, bewildering. And the largest structure on Namadal is the Tomb of the First King, which is 262 by 196 feet, which is the size of a modern-day football field. Wait, you said that's the largest structure? Yeah. That's huge. It's huge. I really was envisioning this a, lo- a whole lot smaller. I know. And in that structure, in the tomb, it's like tons and tons of complex winding passageways that lead to an ancient tomb that researchers have access, but they like, you know, did their like archaeological like dating thing and carbon dating but they just left the tomb itself untouched and didn't open the sealed tomb but with all of this it just proves a level of sophistication that our so-called evolved minds just cannot grasp so to me maybe levitating and glowing dragons are not impossible or there are theories that maybe it was aliens or giants or that the twin sorcerers were in fact giants and it was a giant a civilization of giants Ooh, i like that I believe in giants. <laughs> <laughs> I am not surprised. I believe in everything now after this. Like, I have no idea what to believe. So on top of all of this, there are also many haunting things that occur to visitors of Nambadal, and it is very clear that there is something otherworldly at play. Legend says that visiting Nambadal will result in death, and there is evidence of this curse because... There is a story of a German governor, his name was Victor Berg, and it was around 1907 when the Germans took control of Pompeii Island. Uh, I think they took control from Spain or from the Spanish. Anyway, so among them was this man, Governor Victor Berg, who had seen the islands and the ruins of Namadal and was so intrigued by them. He was like, I need to go there. I need to know what's there. I want to find treasure and get money and be rich and all of this, you know, less than humble desires. (laughs) And the Pompeians had a local law against visiting Namadal. So even though they were taken over by the Germans, the uh, king of Pompeii had proclaimed that to disrupt the holy ground that once belonged to past rulers with supernatural powers would be breaking the law. So yeah, they basically didn't want to upset the supernatural powers at play that were on Namadal, and they believed a darkness would befall those who visited the island. So they're telling Governor Berg, like, hey, dude, do not go visit that island. Like, Mm -hmm. no go. We have strict rules against it. You're not going to be happy if you go. And he's like, I don't listen to you. This is our land now. I'm going. So he did not take heed of the warning. And in April of 1907, Victor Berg took off to explore Nanvadal. He spent the day walking the strange island and exploring the canal systems in search of artifacts and treasure. And while exploring, he actually came upon this, like, hidden entrance to what he found was a sealed tomb. (gasps) 
So he tried to get into the tomb, but it was sealed, so he needed help. So he recruited fellow Germans to excavate the tomb. And it is said that inside he discovered the skeletal remains of giants. Yeah. <laughs> what? And as the day ended or it came to an end, Victor and those who had, you know, broken into this tomb were like, let's go back to Pompeii and get a good night's sleep. Tomorrow we'll come back and try to like excavate these skeletal remains. But as night began to fall, something in the air shifted. A storm started to brew and it was said to be like a violent storm. Like palm trees were like basically hitting the ground. They were being blown by the wind so violently. And at the same time, Victor Berg suddenly fell ill. And the locals knew, like the second the air shifted, they were like, we felt this before. This is the curse from non-Medal. And they had a sinking feeling that Victor Berg would not make it through the night. Sure enough, Berg collapsed and became delirious. His physician could not find an ailment or an issue or what was wrong. It just seemed like it was a hopeless cause. And sure enough, Berg did not wake the next morning. He had died a mysterious death. Some theorize that maybe he died of sunstroke and heat exhaustion, but he was the only one who died and not all these other people who, you know, helped him excavate the tomb, who were probably the ones doing all the hard work. But the Pompeians know otherwise. They were like, Berg had disrespected the tombs of their royal ancestors and had been cursed. And apparently the tomb that he had supposedly discovered was never found again. Even those who had helped unseal it couldn't locate it again. They had been there the day before, but they could not locate it again. And another unlucky few also died from the curse, or so believed. There are also many large unopened tombs, some of them hidden throughout the structures, and the Pompeian people have warned researchers to leave them be because they fear the dark magic that can be released if opened. And while there are many curious folks and those who have visited the ruins of Namadal, the locals refuse to step foot on it because if the legend of the curse is not enough to keep them away, then maybe the ghoulish lights that appear on the island at night, or maybe the moans and screams that seem to emanate and echo across the waters at night are enough to keep the locals away. Because yes, there are reports of both both of those things. They believe the cries are coming from the long-sealed crypts that their powerful ancestors want out. So they're like very adamant, like do not touch the tombs, do not touch the resting places, they're sealed for a reason. Let sleeping giants lay. Is that the phrase? Is that a phrase? I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard it. There's something about like let sleeping. That sounds right. Let sleeping. Let me look. Let sleeping. Sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> but now I it's, like your version. Let it makes sleeping sense giants lie. <laughs> That's our version now. There's also legend told through oral histories that the canals were cut to allow eels to enter the city and that there was a well on one of the islands of Namadal that housed a sacred eel who embodied a sea deity that the ancient civilization of Namadal would feed the innards of special raised and cooked turtles to this sacred eel. And there's evidence of this because in a well on the island, they have found remains of turtles. Even today, there are only a few locals willing to give tours and they are very short tours, and they are never after nightfall. And to make matters even more mysterious, in 1874, a ship containing several artifacts from the island of Namadal set sail back towards London. They were like, we're going to get all these artifacts from Namadal back to London, get them studied, try to get more answers to this place. But the ship did not make it very far. It actually sunk mysteriously in the middle of its journey, taking with it all the ancient and supernatural artifacts from Namadal. Like no whatever way. is working at Namadal, it does not want 
to be discovered. It does not want to be studied. It does not want to be analyzed. <sighs> so these answers to Namadal are just lost to history. It is just a complete mystery. In 1985, Namadal was designated a National Historic Landmark. In 2016, it was declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is considered the eighth wonder of the world, and it just completely defies all logic. So take that knowledge as you would like. I'd highly recommend not stubbing foot on the ancient grounds, but I do highly recommend looking at it and finding pictures of it because it is just so cool. It's so cool to look at, but it's also bewildering. These legends have been told for centuries for a reason, so I totally respect them. I totally believe there was magic involved in the creation of this island and that there is some magical giant power buried within the land. I did not come into this episode thinking that this was going to be about giants, but I am <laughs> so glad that that's the direction it took. I am into this. I know. Like the real life Jack and the Beanstalk, like BFG, all of it. It is it's just like I feel like it's so rare to hear about something that modern technology has not been able to answer or find some clue to like what actually happened there. And this just is that. So it is just such an anomaly. I have another unanswered question to add to the list of please. A hundred questions you already have. <laughs> so I went on the Google Street View because you said that you could drag the little man into two different yeah. places. So I did. So I'm curious what happened to those people <laughs> who uploaded them because you can see their names. Yeah. You see who did it. I'm sure they're fine. I think they're like, – I mean, people have gone there and walked the ruins. And I think – I couldn't find anything negative happening to those people. I think the biggest thing is that like if you respect the land and if you're not, you know, opening tombs and – finding things that you shouldn't be finding, then I, I think you'll be okay. But I think if you go with it in intention to find answers or to disrespect it and mm -hmm. like, you know, gain rich riches for yourself, then that won't be very well liked or appreciated yeah. by the uh, spirits there. This is so interesting. And I feel like giants, giants are such a fun topic because there is like every once in a while – there are these skeletal remains that are uncovered that are either much smaller or much larger than what we're used to that, that does leave scientists being like, okay, what is this? And giants in science don't mean – don't have to mean these like 20-foot tall people. It right. could be just like – you know, a society of people that were all eight feet tall, which we, which is super, yeah, so much taller than the rest of very us. Very tall, yeah. <laughs> That's still very tall. Yeah. So I don't know. I just kind of like the thought that there was this like peaceful society of giants living here, and I don't know how they would eat or if yeah. magic was involved or if the dragon brought them all their goods. I don't know, but there's also a part of me that like, th and this is just I think because this defies all logic. I I mean, my theory has no logic, but mm -hmm. there's a part of me that like wonders if this was built in the future and in a weird glitch, <gasps> it was like slipped into an ancient timeline where it shouldn't be and it's it just exists because – and like the reason we don't know anything about it or like there's no written history or, or there's nothing that we can understand or know how it was built is because it was actually built in the future. I love this theory. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, even when earlier when you were saying like, oh, we need to figure out how to time travel. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, we'll figure it out. And I was thinking about like time travel is one of those confusing things because if you think about time as this linear thing, then we're thinking about going backwards or forwards. But what if there are different timelines and what yeah. if it's a wrinkle? And so like to go to, to year 1900, maybe it's a huge leap to get to where 
that time exists. But what if to go to year two, it's actually like a tiny jump. Like, how does it how does it work? I don't know. I was also trying to find like the date that it was discovered, you know, because like I think of obviously there were civilizations of people living there for centuries. But like I was trying to find like when was Namadal discovered and like when did we in modern day like stumble upon it and decide to like research it and like look into it. And I couldn't find anything, which which it just adds to the mystery of like, what is well, this place? And also, couldn't we take soil samples and just like samples of the actual materials used to date them and figure out when they were? Yeah. So I guess that's the one thing that negates my theory is that it predates the island of Lalo, which is like nearby. Mm-hmm. And people believed that Lalo inspired Namada, but clearly it doesn't because it was built before. I like the idea that there's a whole other version of this life that we're living right now, but it's more like jungle ancient civilization style of living. And there was just a little bloop. Like, you know how Atlantis is the classic, like, oh, the city that sank and it's magical and and no one knows where it is. What if this island on another timeline is their version of Atlantis? It just went poof. And we have it on accident. What if? What if? Except for Atlantis is supposed to be like this utopia that holds the ability to like bring peace to the world. And Namadal seems to um, bring death. To people who discover it. True. That's true. Although maybe at once they were using fear as a tactic to... <laughs> for peace. To, <laughs> for peace. <laughs> Everyone behave! <laughs> yeah. So I I mean, it still is a mystery. I don't have any answers for you. I... I'm so fascinated by it. Me too. This is this is interesting. Yeah, I wonder what the locals say now. Like, now that it's there are more tourists that are probably trying to go there, more people that are trying to study. I wonder if it's still like the same sentiment of do not go, like respect the ancient people that lived there or or if it's one of those things like that they're just as confused and looking for answers just like we are. Yeah. And also, like, how do you get to Micronesia? I'm going to look real quick. Oh, flights to Micronesia are like $3,000 and it takes like two plus days. Oh, my God. Honestly, though, I'd rather fly than take a boat. Imagine going over all of that dark water to this tiny speck of an island that you could easily miss. Yeah. I don't want to be. I'm like getting (laughs) creeped out thinking about it. Yeah. I'm excited about yours. Okay, well, obviously I went like full conspiracy theory. (laughs) Just, I mean, I had to stop myself from writing. I was like, how many pages is this? And it said eight. And I was like, oh, I got to stop before it gets to 20. And I take over the next like three episodes with this. We could also do an entire episode just about, because it's so broad. I mean, tell everyone what you did. Okay, well, here is a little game. What do Harry Potter, Pirates of the Caribbean, and H2O have in common? I want to give a second for everyone to think about it because I already know the answer. Mermaids! <laughs> they have mermaids! <laughs> the OG water cryptid, baby! Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so into this. I got to calm down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm here okay. for the enthusiasm. <laughs> my cheeks are so... I'm going to hurt. I'm going to give myself a little mas- face massage. I'm smiling too hard. Okay, mermaids, they have been I would around. argue that a smile is a massage for your face. <laughs> you should work for dumb chocolates and, and come up with the little sayings that are in the wrappers. Let sleeping giants lie. A smile <laughs> is a massage for the face. <laughs> you could write fortune cookies. I like it. 
New career. Yeah, see, this is the job that you're, maybe when we read your horoscope and it said you're going to have a job, but then you're not going to have a job. Maybe maybe for a moment, you're a part-time fortune fortune writer. Whoa, my brain glitched. That's okay. Okay, but here we are. Let's just, before my brain has too many thoughts all at once, let's get (laughs) to talking about the merfolk. Okay. So, mermaids. We grew up hearing stories about them, and so did pretty much all of your ancestors, because stories date back to 1000 BC. They are the favorite aquatic creature to most five-year-olds that you know, and most feared by many fishermen. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put this out there. I think it, you probably already know by my enthusiasm at the top of this, <laughs> that I don't not believe in mermaids, which of is course. my way of saying I freaking do believe in mermaids. I think it's safe to say you kind of believe in all cryptids. Everything. I believe in possibility. Yeah. Oh, that's another beautiful <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Fine. Help me with my new career. We'll do it together. There's there's not enough evidence to prove that they absolutely 1000% cannot exist. Therefore, I believe that they they do. I'm I'm with you. Okay, great. Well, I hope other people are too. And even if you don't, it's a fun journey to be on. Join us for the ride. Yeah. Join us for the ride. So, I will say I do think that a lot of videos out there are hoaxes that they're doctored. A lot of pictures are doctored. Mm-hmm. I don't think that mermaids are truly this like half human half fish aerial and little mermaid sort of thing i kind of in my mind i picture them more as some sort of like blubbery ape hybrid so when i think of mermaids i don't think of these like beautiful sexy ladies right. who are like just perfectly human on the top and then some sort of fish on the bottom no but, but i did I watch did- 13th year and i was like damn i wish oh that I was so good 13th year was a childhood staple. Yes. And then, unfortunately for us, we turned 13 and we did not become a mermaid. Nope. We are still us. No letters admitting us to Harry Potter. <laughs> and so, please, we ask me. of you, dear listeners, what could happen to us at age 30 and <laughs> above that we can start looking forward to because we've already missed a few of these milestones. Okay. So scientists do say that there are many evolutionary understandings that would make mermaids impossible. So thermoregulation, reproduction, digestive differences. So what we think of mermaids to be or what we depict mermaids to be in television and movies and whatnot, scientists are pretty much like, that is very, very (laughs) unlikely, almost certainly not possible. But that's not to say that there's some other version of a mermaid that that could be possible. Right. So, and also, not to go on a whole tangent, but, I mean, scientists can't really explain platypus. We don't even know how eels reproduce. So yeah. I think there's it's it's okay to say that there is room for things to exist and for us not to, to not understand how. And also who I mean Namadal is evidence of that. But also but there, who's yes. to say that like there's a creature in the ocean that can't shapeshift or turn itself into a mermaid which is more digestible for a human to see cuz we like oh. to see ourselves reflected in things. So Yes. I'm just saying. Right. Or maybe it's just so traumatic to see one that people's minds all kind of make sense of the general shapes of the creature and think that must have been a a person up top because it was just too scary to describe what I truly saw. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
despite what I normally do, I'm actually not going to do much history. I'm going to go into an extremely brief history of mermaids before going into some suspected encounters because that's what I'm – I'm here for the modern day mer- Yeah, of merfolk. course. Yes. So mermaids or merfolk, mer- mermaid, mermen, merfolk – they are marine animals that are said to have human-like qualities on the top half of their body, a torso, arms, fingers, sometimes webbed fingers, human-like head shape and hair. And then the bottom half resembles more of a dolphin or fishtail, often with scales, but sometimes a little bit more blubbery. In mythology, some thought that mermaids were these deities. So it's kind of like your story, Sabrina, where there were these ancient magical giants with their dragons and and they just appeared and, and were respected and maybe quite yeah. a bit feared. And so in mythology, mermaids take on that same sort of story where they were often depicted as these deities in imagery with the men having beards and crowns and spears And then others considered mermaids to be sirens. So these Mm -hmm. evil creatures who lure men in with their songs and their beautiful voices, drowning them and killing them. So omens of death and misfortune. Right. So these creatures, they're not easily spotted, clearly. Dolphins, manatees, people have seen these animals out there and and sometimes mistaken them with a potential mermaid. But you see dolphins, you see manatees, you see orcas, you see all those animals quite often. Plenty of them are elusive, but it doesn't mean that if you if you go out with the right person on a whale watching tour or whatever, that you're not going to come into contact with one. Mm-hmm. Mermaids, on the other hand, are extremely rare. Probably some of the rarest sightings. I almost feel like there are more sightings of like the Mothman than there are of of mermaids in modern daytime. Right. So they are elusive. They're suspected to lurk in cavernous regions in the deep sea and rarely allow themselves to be seen. And because of the mystery surrounding these creatures, people were and still are uh, dazzled by the stories and evidence of them. And this is partially why mermaid hoaxes were so popular in the 1800s. And I think probably everybody who listens to this podcast knows about this one faked mermaid. And if you don't Google it, it's, it's going to be the first thing that comes up. But P.T. Barnum made some serious cash off of his display of the very fake Fiji mermaid, which was just the top half of a monkey, like a, a tiny little monkey sewn onto the bottom half of a fish. Kind of disturbing. Yeah. I mean. Taxidermy situation. Yeah. There's a lot of that that happened at circuses. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, people want to believe that's the thing. And so everyone's like, ooh. And it was, at the time, a very convincing fake. And I'm sure, too, at some point, there's going to be our own version of P.T. Barnum's mermaid in our lifetime that that will confuse us all. Well, have you seen those places? Like, there's, like children they're almost like museums but then there's bars that have women who truly dress up as mermaids and like hold their breath for an absorbent amount like ridiculous amount of time and like wave at people in the tank yes scary i feel i mean there's like famous people on tiktok who are mermaids you have to do some serious training to be a mermaid and then the tails themselves like the costumes i know so expensive and like heavy. So heavy. Yeah. Those those people are extremely strong. Yeah. <laughs> In every single way. Lung Respect. capacity, muscles, the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, wait. So when I was when I was looking at the PT Barnum Fiji mermaid, did you know yeah. it went missing? Like what? They, 
so it ex- like they had it, it on exhibit in yeah. New York, Boston, London. I think those were the three cities that it, that it had been in. But then in 1859, the Fiji mermaid was lost. <gasps> they never found it again. So someone could just have it in their basement. Go check your grandma's Everyone basement. Everyone go check your basement. Yes. And let us know if you find this. Oh my Fiji gosh. Mermaid. I just I just know it ended up in in someone's basement or like somewhere that the person had no clue what it was and thought it was gross and just probably threw it in the dump. Ooh. It's probably in a dump somewhere. I would hate to stumble upon that to be honest. Hey, Antiques Roadshow. There's there's your number one episode for you. Just yeah. find that fishy mermaid. <laughs> yeah, that would be really disturbing, especially because it's it's real. Like it's not just I know. It's like plastic Ooh. fiber version. It's actually Probably very decayed. carcass. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there have been many, many fakes out there, so many hoaxes, so many doctored photos and videos, but still there are stories and images that have yet to be disproved. And so we are left wondering, are there mermaids? So let's start with a few sightings that are well-documented with eyewitnesses, but lack uh, quite a bit of physical evidence. Okay. And by the way, like I said, I have eight pages of notes. There's, <laughs> I'm about to speed read through this so that we're not here forever. Take your time. I'm excited to be entertained. (laughs) Okay. Well, my first talking point is for you, Sabrina. In episode 74, you had covered Blackbeard. Yeah, famous. And yes, he was notorious, a feared pirate, V-famous. Love him. In his logbook, he mentioned mermaids. And he was like, yep, there are these things, these like mermaids out there in the water that we keep seeing. And we're mapping them out and putting them, like, jotting down where they live and avoiding these pockets of water because we've seen them on many of our voyages now. And I'm telling all my men to get a hold of themselves because they seem to be a bit enchanted by them. So we're doing our best to avoid these mermaids. Spooky. Very spooky. So now let's fast forward to the past hundred years. So there are, I mean, in mythology and all, all of these, there's there's so much evidence of mermaids if you look far into the past. So I really wanted to focus more of on what's happened since we have you know, photography, video evidence, mm-hmm. a lot of humans clustered in one location. Yep. So now we are in 1943, and this is World War II. Japanese soldiers are stationed on the key islands in Indonesia, and they're they're in this like 555 square mile area during their service there. So that's where they're stationed. And it's here that these Japanese soldiers who are in Indonesia encounter mermaids. And these are men that are like at war. They're not they're not on a vacation. They're not doing like hallucinogenics in the jungle and having a boys trip. This is serious business for them. This is life or death. And these wow. men are there and they see this creature. And this creature has pinkish skin, long arms and legs, almost frog-like. So there was no tail on this creature. It was these talon-like fingers attached to these frog-like limbs. And the creature was big. And its back had these spikes along the spine that continued up the shoulders and neck. And the thing was around 150 centimeters, which for those of us on the imperial system, not on the metric, that is four foot nine. So okay not, like picture picture my height minus like five inches yeah <laughs> that's weird we'd be like almost eye to eye and so these guys they're like what the fuck is that <laughs> and the local villagers were like oh no biggie that's just the orang ikan which means manfish just oh. leave them alone casual so this, <laughs> right they're like just leave them be like they're fine so the soldiers are like oh okay 
<laughs> but they keep running into these creatures. They keep seeing these creatures. They had so many sightings. Okay, Sometimes, that's weird that there's so many too. So many. It was like this one, this one clustered spot of where the men were stationed also happened to be this mermaid hotspot. Whoa. And maybe, maybe it's because of the attitude of the locals that they just like for many, many, many years made peace and just kind of like coexisted, ignoring right. each other, and it was fine. And then all of a sudden there were these Japanese soldiers there kind of disrupting that that atmosphere. But yeah, so they had so many sightings. Sometimes it was on the, the shoreline with the creature on the land, like the this mermaid had crawled up onto the land from the ocean. And though they saw this creature numerous times, it was still shocking, but mostly okay, because there was no interaction between this manfish and them. Until one day, the troops are treading through some unexplored land, just kind of like wandering around exploring the area that they're in and they find a natural lagoon how exciting how beautiful (laughs) amazing just go splash around boys but (laughs) as they look out onto the lagoon everything seems so pristine and peaceful when suddenly the water starts going a bit crazy in this one section there's a thrashing in place underneath the water and then from the thrashing springs an orangutan this man fish that lands on a nearby rock, turns to the men and starts making this awful gurgling, burping noise. <gasps> and though this noise was super odd and one that they hadn't heard before, they said it felt threatening. Like it, it was, it was a verbal back off sort of, sort of vibe. So these men are like, oh god, observing this. And within just moments of time, the men also notice another one of these creatures, which slips into the water and starts swimming towards them way faster oh than any fish could. That's and so terrifying. They, yeah. They freak out. They just start shooting their guns, shooting them everywhere. They're panicked. So these creatures, they slip back into the lagoon, into the water, and that was that. They did not see these creatures again. So then the sergeant, Sergeant Taro, he went into the village and he asked the locals to contact him if they ever capture any of these creatures. <laughs> and the villagers are like, okay. And they actually do. They capture one of the creatures and they bring him in they call him in because he wanted to see what his troops were saying what his troops kept reporting yeah and it was shocking he was like holy shit how is this real life he then tries to pull in the scientific community he tries to bring people in like come in come in we've captured a mermaid come study it and no one cared no one did anything everyone's like okay okay cool bro and like didn't believe him just nothing ever came of it he was like are you kidding me i literally have captured mermaid is are there photos no, at least none that, that that I've seen. And I feel like it's a classic tale of, like, you know, the government owns the documents and all of the evidence and things disappear, things go missing, things become classified pretty quick. Oh, my so, gosh. No, there is no evidence of that, though there are so many eyewitnesses. Wow. So I know. And you would hope that there would be a picture because it wasn't that long ago that this happened. But no. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's the middle of World War II. There's a lot of other things going on. And I think mermaids are probably low on the list of priority. Right. And I think with how much was going on, too, it was probably easy for people to dismiss what, what these guys were reporting because they're they're going through a lot. And so you're like, okay, well, their yeah. minds are, are seeing something that's not actually there. There's also this theory. I, I know you said no one was on drugs, but there is – I think there's evidence – 
that Nazis there's a book called Blitzed and it's all about how like Nazis were being like microdosed with oh. drugs so that they would like have more energy and like stay awake and also like buy into things so there I mean there's possibilities that I don't know oh no yeah I believe it there's a I mean and too like a lot of the drug testing I don't know how it is today because we obviously don't have access to to those types of records but I mean, even when my grandfather was in service, they did a lot of testing on their own people. See what what yeah. things would do. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's fast forward again 20-some years. And now we are in North America. A group of tourists are on a ferry. The year was 1967. And the boat was in British Columbia near Maine Islands. The entire boat sees a creature, a mermaid-looking thing Ooh. with silvery blonde hair, lounging on the beach the waves crashing up on her tail and the mermaid she's just sitting there she's eating a salmon she's enjoying life one person actually snaps a picture which you can see online oh my gosh and it here's the thing it really does look like a traditional image of a mermaid like it literally looks like a female like a woman on the top and a fish on the bottom it looks like a person sitting there in a mermaid suit basically and so a lot of people were like, I mean, everyone on the boat knew what they saw. They were like, we saw a mermaid. But was that mermaid a mermaid? Or was that some sort of hoax that some local or someone was doing sitting out posted up on this rock, like waiting for the ferry to go mm. by to, to fool these people? People don't really know. But later on in that week, there was another spotting of the mermaid. And so now there's all this buzz about this mermaid in British Columbia and so a $25,000 reward was posted for this mermaid, but they never did find the mermaid again. Whoa. So now we are in 1998. A diver named Jeff Liker is operating the Jack Diving Locker of Kauai. He worked for the company as a diver. And for all I know, he still works there. I'm not sure. But he was about 20 minutes off of the coast of Kaiwi. I'm likely pronouncing these incorrectly, and I'm very sorry about that. But he and six other divers, they're on this boat together, making their way out to a point when a school of dolphins starts playing in the wake of the boat. And so obviously some oh. of their attention is on the dolphins. How cute. How fun. How fun. They're just jumping through the wake. Yeah. But then one of the men starts yelling and pointing. And 10 feet from the bow of the boat is a naked woman with flowing oh. hair and a beautiful face. And she is swimming so fast. She's keeping pace with these dolphins jumping in and out of the water. And this naked woman leaps into the air. And Jeff, he just has a heart attack. Because then, in the moment, he was just like, how is this naked lady swimming so fast? But then it became, holy shit, I <laughs> am looking at half woman and the lower half of her body is covered with scales. A mermaid. Oh. I am seeing a mermaid. So she jumps up once more, and she didn't resurface after that. And there had been many tales of mermaids for decades in the area. But these people that were on the boat with Jeff, they were experienced divers. They never saw anything. So, you know, it's like the local lore or whatever. It's not real. Right. And honestly, like, many of these people, I think, thought that that these tales were just that. It was, it was a tale. It was a hoax. People misidentifying another animal. They weren't, you know, skilled in the water like Jeff and his team were. But now they saw it, so they're like, holy crap, hearts racing. They didn't know what to make of it. Wow, what an experience. What an experience for them all to have together. So about an hour after this experience where the mermaid had swam through through the wake of the boat and, and left, the boat then arrives to this point, and they all get in the water to dive. And Jeff, he's a photographer and videographer, so he has his underwater camera with him. He's snapping shots of the fish 
And then he oh feels gosh. something brush up against his right ah. leg, a flash of something. And he looks up and it is the mermaid. She swam oh. past him at lightning speed, then turns back around, swims past him again. And she's up above. He's down below with his camera. So he's now like on his back with his camera above facing right. the surface of the water. And she's swimming over him. So he points his camera towards her and he starts taking pictures. He gets a few pictures. She then swam to the surface away from the group. And that was that. She was gone again. And here's what confuses me. Because similar to the tourist boat off of British Columbia, the pictures look like Ariel from The Little Mermaid. It literally looks like a woman. Like a true cartoon version of a mermaid. Okay, I'm trying to follow along and like search all these pictures. You're gonna have to like, we're gonna have to do a post where you post all these photos. I will. Okay, Yes. Look up Kaiwi Point Mermaid. It's K-A-I-W-I Point Mermaid. And you'll see the pictures for this one. Oh, whoa. What? Right? It looks like a woman. Yeah. So I'm really confused. I'm shook. Right. And it's hard because look, sh- the in the photo, she's backlit because he's on his back. He's down below the water. This creature, this mermaid is is above him. So she's backlit by the sun. So it's yeah. basically just a silhouette. You can't make out features or anything. But I don't know. It's so confusing because, like, I, I almost – I almost am – it almost makes more sense for me, the one that happened in Indonesia, because this creature didn't look like a stereotypical mermaid. Right. But this one and the one in British Columbia just confused me so much. But anyway. Which is, like, he, why it kind of makes me think that, like, there's a creature that's, like, presenting itself as this because it knows that that's the representation of a mermaid that we mm. have conjured up. I don't know. I just think about how, like – demons pose as children to be innocent you know yeah there's just something dark about it i don't know i don't i feel uncomfortable now well you're reminding me of ice age i think it was the most recent ice age (laughs) one where they there are sirens underwater there are mermaids and they just shape shift into whatever creature is passing by to like entice them so it's like a sexy baboon or like (laughs) an acorn for the squirrel like i mean what do we know Exactly. What do we know? Nothing. I'm looking at the picture again. It's just so, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Okay. Now we are in 2009. We are in Kiryat Yam, Israel. And over the course of a few months, dozens of people see mermaids splashing through the waves near the shore during sunset. So this creature, they're like, okay, this looks like a mermaid, but it also looks like a young mermaid, like a little girl. Oh. And she would often visit the beach doing some tricks in the water, frolicking around, like, you know, high energy, like childlike behavior. And again, this is numerous people over many months. It's not just like one group, one time. Yeah. It, it consecutively happens. And so, of course, the government, the local government is like, why? <laughs> and they issue a $1 million reward for proof for footage. But no one is able to capture any. And this was a huge news story. And media was all over it. And NBC was determined to get to the bottom of the story. And so they set up a film crew on the beach all day and all night with cameras in the water and on the beach. And they did catch something. It was a human figure dipping into the water and disappearing. And they tried to follow it. But the mermaid was lost. Okay, so so that's the thing. I feel like when people are like, oh, million dollar reward, it's almost like setting everyone up for failure because there's always going to be someone who's like, no, there's no way to actually verify this, you know? Yeah. And there's like heightened energy and I think just like the nervousness. Like it's almost like, you know, animals, it's like, think of like a dog or like a cat. Like animals can pick up on the energy of the person that's the stranger that's walking into the room. Yeah. We can too, you know? Like the hair on the back of your neck stands up when certain people are – Around. Approaching you. Yeah. Around. Yeah. 
And so it also makes me think that like almost the desperation makes it less plausible. Yeah, they can feel how thirsty we are. Yeah, yes. And so so for this one, the footage was then given to the Coastal Oceans Research in Los Angeles to be authenticated, and they weren't really able to prove or provide any answers. Yeah. So it was it wasn't proven nor disproven. So that was just kind of kind of left as is. And this is what confuses me about about the case that happened in Israel because as I was looking it up, there were postings of this happening in Israel a few years prior to – did you ever watch on the Animal Planet? It came out in 2012. Animal Planet put no. out that special mermaids, the body found. Mm-mm. And it was like this compilation. It it presented as real. It was like this compilation of scientists finding proof of like mermaids and had all of these video clips and amateurs and scientists being interviewed. And it, it was just like – it was very convincing to the point where you're like, what am I watching? Like, because you don't really realize that it, it was fake until the end. Oh, I and hate also, when they do that. Yeah. And the NOAA, they had to put out a statement basically being like, this is fake. Mermaids are not real because so many people were inquiring, following. Oh my gosh. Following the that Animal Planet special. But point, point being is, so I saw some articles posted that had come out a couple years before that Animal Planet series talking about this Israel encounter. But what confuses me is that in the movie, they also had like a very, very similar story to this. And so I think a lot of it's getting mixed up on the internet. And part of me is like uncertain as to what what actually happened and what's like a confused mixed retelling of the Animal Planet mockumentary version. Well, I think that's what's hard about things like mermaids or cryptids. It's like there's just so much information out there that it all gets muddled Mm -hmm. together. And because there's no like hard evidence fact is hard to know yeah which is really frustrating because especially when you really want to believe and you want something to be to be proven like i'm i'm not i'm not being shy about my stance here i want i want mermaids to be real and i want to focus on the evidence that suggests that they are i don't want to focus on the evidence that says that they're not because it's not fun for me (laughs) but yeah it's stuff like this where i'm just like i know i have to be like authentic and i can't i can't like lie to myself and to other people so it's frustrating when these things happen because you're like oh i felt like we were so close and (laughs) this one little thing happened and and made the waters murky yeah All right. So now 10 years ago, just 10 years ago in 2012, you and I were running around together, Sabrina. Meanwhile, in Zimbabwe, dam workers are working alongside divers to fix this dam and investigate this blocked pipe. The divers go down and the workers are looking on from above and the group underwater comes in contact with a mermaid. (gasps) And the workers above water are witness. So this whole group is experiencing this mermaid. And this encounter spooked them so much that they refused to continue their work on the dam. Oh. And the water resources minister told the village chiefs that they would perform a ritual to get rid of the mermaid because they obviously needed the work done. And they were right. like, oh, my gosh, all these people, these, like, local workers are yeah. too scared. So they're like, no, 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 we'll do a, we'll do a ritual. We we'll get rid of the do. mermaid. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But this didn't matter. The workers and divers were like, we will not go by that oh dam. Gosh. Sorry. And so the dam needs to be worked on. So eventually the government just has to contract out these foreign workers, like flew them in and put them to work to finish the project. Whoa. So these workers who came in had no idea of the stories or <laughs> what was happening. They were just like, oh, I guess we're getting, you know, we're hired on this project. Let's go. But to the disbelief of many, the group encountered a creature, a mermaid. So oh this new group 
also is contacted by this mermaid and refuses to go back underwater. Whoa. And as for the dam, it has not been finished, so they say, to this day. It's because the mermaids are living in there. I know. Yeah, whatever it was doing, I couldn't find any, like, actual description of what the mermaid looked like or said or did, but it sounded like it was just kind of present and, like, made itself physically known and i think that startled people enough that they were like we're not going to be underwater for a prolonged amount of time with a creature that we know absolutely nothing about that's always like very obviously aware of us well now i feel bad for mermaids like what if they're actually good intentioned and they're like why do you guys keep running away i just want to be your friend (laughs) i don't know but there's plenty of encounters where with these merfolk, but a lot of what I've told you doesn't really have much evidence or has evidence that you're kind of like, what? Mm-hmm. Just a grainy photograph or two. But in Seems today's like world, you're about to give us some uh, real evidence. Obviously, <laughs> I went to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody live streams everything. Everyone puts every single freaking video on their phone on the internet, and so I feel like there's. A lot of opportunity with like YouTube and TikTok and and all of the social media apps to share evidence around the world. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I looked and I will I'll be honest, a lot of the videos I saw, I was like, this is this is n- clearly faked. OK, it's just trying to get views. It's just being silly or whatever. But there are a few that I was like, I don't really know what to make of this. Eee. So. You guys can look it up and and figure out for yourself. And Sabrina, I'll send you all these videos after. Yes. So in 2018, a video was uploaded to YouTube and it has since been reposted many, many, many times. So you can very easily find it on TikTok or whatever. But Morales Debbie was on a boat. She's a tourist with her friends and they are on this boat that's heading down all these channels, these like little tunnels on the Isabella River in Puerto Rico. So mind you, we've been all over the world now. We were in Indonesia, now we're in Puerto Rico, we were in Israel, we were in British Columbia. Yeah. We were in Florida. Like mermaids are, sorry, Hawaii. Mermaids are literally everywhere. Okay, so she's in Puerto Rico and she's filming the scenery around her. You know, you're with your friends. As you do. Yeah, you're going through this little channel. So she's, she's just with the video camera, like going from the front of the boat to the end of the boat of the tunnel that they just came out in this channel. And it it wasn't until after when they were reviewing the the video, I believe, that they noticed what was happening in the water as she had panned back to the, the back of the boat. There in the water, a figure rises, stopping just below the surface, and is seemingly chasing the boat and keeping up with the speed. And it's only for a few seconds, but obviously Stop. in the, par- the paranormal world, that's a really long time. And so some people were very quick to say mermaid, mermaid. But honestly, oh, I have the chills talking about it right now. I want to watch it. It like looks like La Llorona. Oh, Mary, that's terrifying. To me, it looks like. Oh, I just got chills. Long black hair and like a white nightgown. (gasps) (laughs) It's so scary. Okay, that is horrifying. I'll I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Yeah. So it's kind of like it was just a spirit in the water. Was it a mermaid? Whatever it was, Ew. it was keeping pace, though, and it was, like, swimming face down. It was very creepy. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And then this one kind of took the world by storm last year. If you were on TikTok, you am, or were interested in the same things as me. Your <laughs> you page likely served you a few videos from Sauce90. His real name is Coleman. And he posted a ton of videos of what seemed to be him capturing a mermaid's call. Oh. So he was working on a fishing boat one night, uh, like a big ass one. He he works on like a commercial fishing uh, boat, uh-huh. so not not a little dinky one. 
And originally he posted a video saying something like, you can hear the dolphin singing. And then in the background was this sound. Hold on. I'm going to unplug my headphones and try oh, to no. play I'm nervous. close to the microphone. Is it like the singing siren-y thing? It's like a scream. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> yeah, there's a ton of them too. So It kind of reminds me of those Bigfoot screams that people have captured in the <gasps> woods, you know? Oh, I'll never get over that one from Missing 411 where those that, that group of hunters was out there in like the 60s and captured... All of those noises. Yeah. Yeah. No. So exactly. It's it's like this. And so he posts that one. And mind you, his whole channel before was like, you know, him in his cars, him at the gym, him just like, you know, being a dude. And, and so, being a dude. Being a dude, man. Sauce 90. So then he posts this one and he writes, you know, something like, you can hear the dolphins singing. You hear that, the dolphins. And people are commenting like, yeah, those are not dolphins. And he's like, yeah, I know they're not dolphins. I'm not dumb. I just, like, didn't want to say what, like, what else could it be? Yeah. yeah. He's like, I mean, yeah, it's probably a mermaid. Ugh. So then he starts capturing, I mean, obviously, he's captured the attention of all these people on the internet. So now he starts filming himself at work a lot. And he captures a ton of videos with the same similar sounds. Sometimes they're really far away. Sometimes they're right up close while he's out on the boat. Uh-huh. Guess where the boat is? I don't know where. It's in New Bedford, Massachusetts. <gasps> so I need him to take me to work with him. <laughs> oh. So there's mermaids in Massachusetts is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm so excited. Are you though? Like, I don't do you, go in the water in Boston. Mm-mm. Do you? Okay. I guess it's like it'd be, it'd be cool to like be the person who discovers them, but at what cost? Yeah. Well, one thing's for sure. I am not taking my paddleboard out into the ocean. I wasn't going to already. I do it around the lakes in this area because the ocean is intimidating and I don't want to get like caught and brought out to shore. Yeah. And there's like orcas and great white sharks and stuff that like wander about rarely, but are here, are present. And now mermaids. Um. Wow. So wasn't yeah, while well, you say that. at what cost, I think if I were on a large commercial fishing boat i would feel a whole lot safer than if i was just in a in in an individual like i don't know 20 foot boat just like on a life raft yeah by yourself that is yeah it's horrifying so anyway he's posting a ton of these videos and one of them he posts while he's back on the dock and he had gone the whole night working without encountering anything Mm -hmm. and then he's back on the dock and he starts filming because you can hear the sounds again and another worker turns to him and goes what is that and this guy sauce 90 he's surprised because the thing like followed him back from the open water and is like in the bay in the marina now yeah and so he he just photographed a bunch of or or videoed a ton of these encounters and some people are very skeptical of this and i think it's tough because i think there were a couple videos where it kind of looked like he was orchestrating some sort of action. Like there was specifically there's this one video that I think a lot of people were coming to him for where it looked like he threw a crab in the water and a crab was thrown back onto the boat. But you can kind of like see him lean down and grab another oh. crab and like throw it and pretend the mermaid threw it. Interesting. So I think it's hard because I think, you know, he wanted to entertain people. And yeah. so I don't know where it kind of like stops and starts. But his TikTok does blow up. It gets very popular. It gets banned. 
It gets <gasps> banned so many times. He's had so many different what? accounts and different names. And he keeps making new ones and posting because his videos keep – and his profile keeps getting banned. Okay. That's sketchy. Right. And then his boat gets randomly chosen to do a government survey on the ocean by UNOLS, which is University National Oceanographic Laboratory System. So basically the government shows up. They set up a lab and put scientists on board. He's, he filmed this. Like you, you saw them setting oh. up and like the name on the side of, of this. So yeah, his book, it's randomly picked for these scientists to come on board. Oh my gosh. So it's all obviously, we're all thinking it's leading up to catching this mermaid, right? Yeah. But then he gets into this awful car accident and he survives, but he, he can't work. Like he's basically on disability. Like he can't work on the boat. He's recovering. Which maybe was an accident, but I also or, have to be like, this is awfully yeah. suspicious. I don't know. I mean, yeah, we know the government takes out people. Yes. Well, and too. So I found his most recent TikTok account and I found him on Instagram. And he went from posting about this stuff all the time to basically not posting at all. And so some okay. believe maybe it was a hoax, but others are like, I think he's being silenced. Okay, if Corinne and I randomly get in accidents after this episode comes out, it's the government. It's the government. You can all come help us. We should have live streamed this. <laughs> what if the government captures this and it just, this is the episode that never airs and we just go missing. Oh my God. It wasn't the mermaids, it was the government. Okay, ask if we disappear, ask Aiden for the for the records. Yes. <laughs> With how much I'm always like, the government. I'm kind of disappointed because I always wanted to work for like the CIA and I feel like they'll never have me now. I know NASA wouldn't have me now either. So it's okay. Did we ever really have a chance? <laughs> yeah. You know what? You said what's coming for us at age 30? It might be the government. <laughs> <laughs> Come for me, baby. <laughs> Take me on a quest to find the more folk. <sighs> okay. We can only dream. I know. So riveting stuff from Sauce90, but I've got a few other TikTokers to tell you about. Okay. So now Brazilian Mess 2, that is her username. She posted a few videos of this washed up half-eaten creature on the beach in Brazil. Ugh. And it was small. It was small like a dog. And it had these blubbery arms and fingers like a person. And it looked, honestly, it looked like a, a bit like a raccoon without hair. Oh. But – it only had its top two arms and then this like weird spine and then some fleshy stuff around it. And the spine was really odd. So I was like, okay, the top part of this is kind of giving me like raccoon with mange, like raccoon drown sort of right. imagery. But but like what what is this? Are there raccoons in Brazil? And no, but there is a cousin, which is the South American coati, if I'm saying that correctly. So I'm searching this this animal. I'm now searching hairless creatures. I'm searching spines of <laughs> Going animals. Deep dive. Deep dive. I'm like, spine of this creature, spine of that creature. Meanwhile, I'm on my work computer. And then I was like, oops, I don't want to get flagged for being a serial killer. So I switched to my phone. But that was after like 30 minutes of like spines of this, spines of mammals, spines. <laughs> it was very creepy. But here's what I found. Because this the spine is so, so strange. I'll, I'll send you a video too so you can see it. Okay. And again, if you guys follow us on social media, I'll throw them all together in a post. Perfect. But And and by the way, what I found provides no answers. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> Good. Just, it's just some added context. So the spine in the video is extremely smooth and it basically looks like a tube. And most spines are a little spiky, right? Like we have the, uh -huh. the vertebra sticking out from the main column. Right. 
but this one isn't. It's it's literally like this smooth textured pole. And so I'm searching a, a million different animal spines and I can't find anything like it until I happen upon a hero shrew. So a tiny, tiny little rodent that has this interlocking vertebrae and it essentially locks into place and gives less mobility to the hero shrew. Mm -hmm. But evolution suggests that their spines are like that because they can endure forces that are a lot stronger. And these animals, they'll wedge themselves like underneath leaves and brush. So essentially they just get stepped on a lot. So they have to have these like rigid, hard ass, like immense pressure bearing spines. Interesting. No other animal on earth that we know of has a spine like this. Only the hero shrew. But Whoa. this video that this this woman posted in Brazil, this spine looks a lot like the hero shrew spine. So now I'm thinking, does the spine of mermaids look like this because they live in the deep ocean and the pressure of the water would crush their spine otherwise? Like if they don't have all this blubber oh. to protect them, maybe for, to actually have like almost like human-like shape or like the thin arms that they supposedly have, they have to have this immensely strong spine. So – I'll I'll leave that up to you when I show you the video. It's interesting. I'm just gross. looking it up. Whoa. Yeah, she posted two. She posted two videos of it too, because of course people were like, "That's fake." And she was like, "Okay, like I took another video on my camera roll of me like poking it with a stick." Oh my god! And so she posted that one too. But yeah, very strange. Okay, and lastly, I'll leave you with one of the biggest mysteries to me, which when I first joined TikTok, which was at the beginning of the pandemic. I found these videos posted under the username Lilith, and I think she was in Chile, uh, but she, she in her videos, seemingly had befriended a mermaid who she, she named Layla. And she'd post all these videos of her like on the coastline, and she would be singing and talking to this creature, Layla, in the distance, and there would sometimes be singing in response from the water. And what? Lilith, she, she would like literally be so calm she'd be like hanging her feet into the water off of the dock and and people would see, like seemingly see a head kind of pop up and bob like 30 yards out or whatever so it was like, really close and we had this a supposedly very trusting relationship with uh-huh. each other and that's scary enough just to like dangle your feet right on the dock tempt fate then, a little bit yes lilith takes it a whole not even a step further she like sprints to the finish line <laughs> by going scuba diving she just scuba dives with this creature and in a few videos she caught in the distance a mermaid her friend layla and i remember watching these videos and i think part of why they went so viral is because the thing basically lilith would say that you could only see and hear the creatures if you were spiritually awakened okay and so the comment section was a mix of people being like oh i see the eyes oh i see the face Oh, I see the body and other people being like, I don't see anything. And like, I would replay it over and over and over and over again. And sometimes I did feel like I could hear something, but I absolutely never saw anything in the videos. Interesting. And she would also post some with fairies. It was basically like Where's Waldo for creatures, cryptids. Interesting. This woman. Which is like questionable because it's like, that's a cool theory. It reminds me of the creatures in Harry Potter that like only Luna and Harry can see. But like- mm. That makes it hard for you and I to like fully believe. And then it's also like, is it then planting this idea in people's heads? So some of them are like, oh, I can see it, you know? Right. And really, I mean, granted, like I didn't really see anything or hear anything. So it would be very easy for me to just not bring up this woman's videos at all. But the only reason I do is because I remember 
that I actually had to take a break from like every time her video came, I would just go past it because in the beginning when I was watching these videos, mm-hmm. my fight or flight would kick in. Like I got this sort of icky oh. feeling about it and Whoa. I don't know why, but there was something like dark about the whole thing. That's scary. Yes. So of course, knowing that I'm going to talk about mermaids, I was like, oh, let me look up her TikTok and find all these and see any any new evidence she's caught in the past like year and a half. Uh-huh. Well, guess what? Her account is missing. Poof. And the internet split. Half of the people are like, no one knows what happened to her. We can't find her. It's just gone. Like, the mer- Layla took her. <laughs> the government <laughs> took her. Like, something happened. And some people have saved the videos on their phones from oh, when you so can they download exist. videos. So a few videos do. Just a, just a few. But for the most part, not a lot of them are gone. So some people are like, oh, my God, something clearly happened to this woman. She's just missing. And then other people are like, oh, no, I was watching a live where she said that she felt like she was exposing too much oh. and that people like di- weren't being very nice to her. And she just felt like she wasn't supposed to be saying everything she was. And so she was talking about like deleting her accounts or something. So I don't know what happened to her. But uh, yeah, this this whole episode just like has me rambling about the potential evidence of mermaids. But now I'm determined to see more. <laughs> so if you guys have any downloaded videos from Lilith and Layla on your phone, or if you have any mermaid experiences, encounters, know yeah. of anyone, please send them our way because I'm here for the evidence. Corinne wants to believe and she needs your help to do so. Please, please. My faith depends on it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, mermaids are so mystifying. I mean, this whole episode is. We started out by saying the ocean is so scary, and I think I've left feeling even more so fearful of it because there's just so much uncertainty around it. Right. I also think it's really funny that we were like, oh, we're going to talk about oceans and lakes and you know bodies of water, and somehow we ended up on giants and mermaids. <laughs> but there are things that I mean, you you wrote specifically what lurks in the ocean. Yeah, what lurks in the ocean. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, it just reminds me, too, like all of the Google image searches that people can do on Google Earth. And there's some really creepy, weird images that have been captured. And some of them, like I remember there was one that literally looked like like a football field sized or like half a football field sized crab, like just near the shoreline. And people were like, okay, that's just the way that like the mud – caked up but it's also like what if it's not (laughs) i mean and also like who has the ability and time to just look at every image that's taken on the satellite you know yeah think about how much of the woods and and just kind of and getting in water people aren't just like dragging it around open water and also that means it had to be like whatever things are out there in the world like have to be in the exact space when the images are being taken so like the chances of things getting caught is pretty slim right I don't know. And my idea, what if there's like an image over the New Jersey Pine Barrens and there's like the New Jersey devil like creeping behind a tree and like under the brush? I believe it. It's got to be somewhere. Do you see like eyeballs peering out from the canopy of the trees? Yeah. Or like what about all of the lake monsters? Champ and Lake Champlain. Where's he? Where's where's Nessie? The Loch Ness Monster. We got to find all these things. I'm scared. I'd rather find like – I almost said demons. I don't know if I want to find demons. But maybe I already have because my sister, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing your sister doesn't listen to this podcast. Oh, I know. I feel really bad. She's like – we had the live show once and someone was like, oh, you're her sister? Like, you're the possessed one? And my sister was like, <laughs> uh, hi, nice to meet you. 
I mean, you talk about it a lot. It finds a way of creeping, creeping back to her. Even at your uh, rehearsal dinner for your wedding, I said a few words. You and called I her out. Managed to sneak in that Lexi was possessed in that <laughs> thirty second window. She's not anymore. At least that I know of. So she's survived a demon attack. Yay! She has, and we've survived all these stories of what lurks beneath. So I found a story from our listener Taylor, and it's not quite ocean, ocean, but it's like ocean adjacent. So okay. It is called Haunting in the Hamptons. (gasps) Taylor says, hello, ghostesses. I found your podcast back in October and I have been hooked. I figured I'd just send in my ghostly encounters since I have so much free time in quarantine. I'm originally from the Midwest, but I moved to New York City when I first started college. My high school best friend's aunt also lived in the city and she invited me over often for dinner with her family since I was alone in the big city. Her family was well off and they had a house in the Hamptons, which totally knocked my socks off since I grew up very middle class. I was absolutely ecstatic when they invited me to the Hamptons house for Thanksgiving and I had stayed in the house once before and I kind of felt off, like neck hair standing up off. I was later told that the house had a ghost activity. The house was over 100 years old, so this made sense to me. I didn't have any encounters during this first stay but obviously my body and intuition had picked up on the energy. So my excitement for spending time in a fancy Hamptons house with people that were like family overrode the ghostly activity of the house. I put it in the back of my mind, but that peace of mind would not last long. The first night I was there, I slept soundly in my room. I had my own private room and could hear the ocean from my bed. It was so relaxing. And I've had very vivid dreams all my life, and I had one this very evening. In this dream... I was with my boyfriend at the time in his bedroom in my hometown. We were happy to be reunited after four months of being apart, but we began arguing about something small. He slammed his bedroom door, leaving me in there alone, and I opened his closet and a bright light was shining where his clothes should have been. I was terrified and I quickly tried to shut the closet door. I then ran to the bedroom door and tried to open it, but each time I tried to grab the doorknob, it spun extremely fast and glowed white hot. I finally grabbed the doorknob and it felt like I had been electrocuted. I woke up and my body had this lingering feeling of being electrified, like I had energy coming out of my pores. I was stunned. It was 8 a.m., so I quietly went downstairs to get some coffee. My host asked how I slept, and I'm not one to hide my feelings when something is wrong, so I told her about my dream. She laughed and said, oh, there's a ghost on the second floor that appears as a bright light. I turned white. Not only was this ghost in my dream, but it had touched me. I'm only sure that it had touched me because I still felt that electric energy once I woke up. It wasn't just happening in my dream. I tried to forget about it and enjoy my Thanksgiving dinner, but once it was time to go to bed in that room, I was petrified. The spirit didn't feel evil, but the fact that it had no issues with touching me and invading my dream space really gave me the willies. That night, I slept with all of my lights on and had to put a sleep mask on so I deliberately wouldn't see anything. Nothing else happened for the rest of the trip, so I wonder if it was just a good ghost and realized it had scared me? Regardless, I never went back to the house again. Love what you ladies do. Thank you for giving me something to look forward to in these quarantine times. Best, Taylor. I love that the woman's just like, oh, no big deal. Just, you know, glowing, fiery, bright light spirit up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrifying to experience. And it is also just so interesting how, like, our minds put, like, a logical context, almost logical context into these experiences. Like, her dream, like, she was experiencing, like, a ghost and it touched her. Mm -hmm. But her mind, like, put it into this dream of, like, the light coming out of the closet and, like, the doorknob electrocuting her. Right. The fact that she woke up 
and felt like she'd been electrocuted. Yeah. Or electrified or, or however she described it. Yeah. Oh, here. Yeah. She said, like, I had energy coming out of my pores. Ooh, which is also kind of cool. That is, but also so unsettling, especially after having that dream. Yeah. And just like generally not feeling like you're you're alone. I'm curious about the house and the history because I, I feel like there's a lot of – I mean, clearly the house is 100 years old, but like I feel like there's a lot of history in, in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And also I just feel like that there's there's a lot of – not only does New York and, and kind of like the East Coast of, of the U.S. have a lot of more like recent history and plenty of deaths, but I also feel like when I think of the Hamptons, I think of kind of like <laughs> this – this wealth and family secrets and all of this stuff. So I wonder if if the houses just have seen a lot and have a lot yeah, of energy. Probably. Left over from different scenarios, many people coming through. Also, The Hamptons reminds me of that show Revenge. That oh, was, I loved was, that yeah, show. I loved that show. But it just reminds me of like – Wealthy family drama and like murders that happened that were exactly. secret. <laughs> <laughs> the stereotypical Hamptons. Yeah, of course. I've never been, but I want to go. I haven't been either. Should we figure out where this is and go? Yes, let's do it. Invite us, please. Please bring us. <laughs> I also have one that's kind of water adjacent, but but still interesting. Okay. This is from Lauren. Hi, coolies. I've been wanting to submit this story for a long time as it is my most significant spiritual experience that I've had in my life so far. So when I heard the story about a potential encounter with fey folk on Encounters 124, I knew I had to write in and tell my own experience with fairies in Michigan. <gasps> Ooh. I'm from Australia and in the summer of 2015 went to the USA on working holiday. I got a job working on Mackinac Island which sits in the middle of Lake Huron, right next to the Mackinac Bridge that connects Michigan's upper and lower peninsulas. Those of you who have spent time in the Great Lakes and surrounding woods will know that this place holds a very particular energy, and I'm convinced that the veil here is thinner than in other locations. I felt that it was because of the spiritual significance of the lands to Native Americans, as the island was a burial area for ancient Anishinaabe and a gathering place for many hundreds of years. The island itself has had several haunted locations and operates ghost tours, but this particular story is not about the dead, but the good folk I encountered here. There was a wonderful spiritual shop on the island where you could purchase things like crystals and have psychic readings, and I decided one day to have a reading, and it was incredible. Everything the girl told me was spot on. One of the things that she told me about was my connection to fairies and how one of my spirit guides is a fae. Oh, that's cool. Well, it's so cool. While I'd not seen the good folk before, I had always wanted to and felt a strong connection with them, collecting fairy books and trinkets wherever I went. This was a very small part of the reading, and while it excited me, I was by no means focused on this particular point. Of most interest to me had been our discussion of a past life I had as a settler in Massachusetts Ooh. and how it had shaped the relationship I have with my brother in this life, as well as going some way to explaining my draw to the U.S. That night, I woke from a deep sleep. There was an incredible buzzing surrounding me, like a million electric currents oh, were running theme. through my brain theme, <laughs> and making my hair stand on end. I was rolled over, facing the wall to my left, leaving the head of the bed and my back to the right exposed to the room. All around me, from my lower back to the top of my head, I could feel the presence of many beings. I could tell they were small oh. creatures and some able to fly by the height at which they stood and moved around me. They were laughing and giggling, and I could hear the ringing of the fairy bells like wind chimes on a breeze. 
There was a flapping of wings, and I could hear them chatting to one another, though I couldn't make sense of what they were saying. The buzzing continued intensely, and I felt that my head might pop. I'm unsure whether or not I was in sleep paralysis, as the fear kept me rooted to the spot, and I chose not to open my eyes or move. But I knew deep in my soul that I could turn around and I could see them all there surrounding me if I chose to. But I was chicken and I decided (laughs) instead to remain in place and allow myself to fall back into a deep sleep. I could not get a real sense of whether they wished me good or ill. The energy felt more frivolous and mischievous than anything, which ties to my research into the Fae. So on the whole, I don't regret my decision to not interact. (laughs) However, I do feel that the main presence was that of the elvish creature whom my psychic was saying was a guide of mine and that he meant me no harm. I just wasn't so certain about his companions. I know that many people will write this off as a dream or sleep paralysis experience and therefore think it's not real. However, I'm a big believer in our psychic sensitivities being heightened in that space between wake and sleep. I can still recall with ease the visceral reaction that I had, and I know for certain that I was very much awake when I had this encounter. I have never had this close of an interaction with Faye again, inside or outside of the U.S., I hope this story reaches the original storyteller from the UP so that they know that even if no one else believes them, I know in my heart of hearts that in the wilderness of Michigan, fairies abound. I love listening to the pod when walking my spoodle pup Wilbur, mostly because I'm too scared to listen alone in the (laughs) house, and I always whisper along with the tagline. Thanks again for taking time to read my story and much love to you both. See you on the other side. Lauren. Whoa. I didn't realize, I mean, I guess why not? But I guess I didn't really think of like Faye as being spirit guides. Yeah, me neither. I think it's just because there's so many warnings that, that basically tell people not to to be so like open and yeah. trusting of Faye that it's interesting to think of them as, as a spirit guide. Yeah. And it does remind me, I, I can't remember if this is the exact same story that Lauren is referring to, but the one where our listener was staying in a cabin by themselves and like vacuumed up all the fairies. Like the way that Lauren described like waking up to like this buzzing around her head makes me think of that same story where they were vacuuming them up. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of too. I don't know if it's the same one. I'm trying to think of all the other like fairy stories we've ever Because the other one that I'm thinking of is the one where – I don't know where this – I can't remember where it took place, but the listener who has the picture and it's like a weird creature that they slept with. Oh, yes. See, there's a lot of face stories. They do pop up. Other people definitely encounter them and experience them. Yeah. It it makes me wonder too, like having a fae as a spirit guide, I'm curious if in a past life Lauren had been of the fae folk. Yeah, I don't you know. know. It's possible. Like when people are like star seeds or, or reincarnates from other planets. Could it, that's could, true. Or even like mermaids. Like people have said that they were like mermaids in a past life. Oh, that's cool. And it cool. makes me wonder if if maybe like your spirit guides can be sort of this compilation of of spirits from the many like lands and lives and creatures you've your souls inhabited. I don't know. I believe it. I think Lauren has some connection to the Fae. Well, I want to go to this little island that Lauren went to, and I want to see if we experience the Fae. I say we because you're coming with me. <laughs> of course. I'm coming everywhere with you. <laughs> we are inseparable now. We are one. Okay. Well, if you guys have any stories about the ocean, mermaids, Namadal, fairies, Fae, ghosts, aliens, cryptids, anything, please email them to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. You can 
Follow us on Instagram. We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook group that's moderated by fellow phantoms. We have TikTok. And we also go live on Green Room, mm-hmm. which is an app you can download every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can join in the chat. You can just sit there and listen. Or you can raise your hand and tell us your story live. Tell us your story. We have so many ways you can support us. You can buy merch. You can join Patreon. You can join our pyramid scheme. Tell everyone about the show. Rate and review us on iTunes. We want to say thank you so much to Aiden Manning and the entire team at Upfire Digital for editing this podcast. And we will see you on the other other side. side. Very spooky.